You know how the young kids ship things? <laughs> like... Like, I ship this, which is basically like, just saying... Like, like they ship a couple? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, can we not... Could we... Call, like, can we... that We've been doing that for years. Yeah. Those of us who have been watching romantic comedies our entire lives mm-hmm. have been doing that, and we didn't call it that. Did the kids even still say shipping? Because uh, yeah. the kids were saying shipping ten years ago. No, they were not. They were. No. They not absolutely ten years were. ago. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I don't believe I you. I was on the internet. I don't believe you. But, I understand the concept mm-hmm. don't love the way we word it sure. but i understand the concept it's short for relationship sure i get it but i think it's often reserved for generally speaking fictional people yeah well the olympics changed all that for me oh actually i know about this about this couple uh-huh okay i've loved who are apparently friends y- yes they've known each other for 20 years mm-hmm. it's tessa virtue and scott moyer yep. i've gone deep down the internet hole mm-hmm. i've watched them for years like i recognize them because they're always near the top of the mm-hmm. pile of olympic ice dancers <laughs> of okay. course yeah. of course as they are and i'm obsessed with the olympics every four years two years so it makes sense so I've been watching them forever, and I kind of just assumed it was a civil wars situation, uh-huh. like Oof. meaning they really had great chemistry, mm-hmm. but they dated other people. Mm-hmm. But they don't date other people. Mm. They don't date other people, but they have this very strong chemistry. Um, yesterday, I watched seven episodes of their seven episode long reality show. Oh my! From twenty thirteen, found okay. the episodes on YouTube. Five years old. Watched them all. And I am so intrigued by, I understand having chemistry with someone who you're not married to. Like, I get it. That happens. Sure. But I don't really understand such great chemistry and clearly a good friendship and 20 years of life together. And you've never even tried dating just to see. Were you scared it would mess with your skating mojo? But now that is done? Like, they're retiring? They're retiring. Well, supposedly. Mm. They, you know, they retired last year. Two years ago as it's well. like Michael like Phelps Michael every Phelps four did. years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. God, we both went there. I'm <laughs> yeah, proud of that. Of course. Um, so I just want to say, I ship those two people, and I know I shouldn't, because right. it's their life. Right. But the thing is, if they go and date other people, I just am going to feel sorry for those other people. Mm. Because you'll never have the chemistry that they have no, with the other person. No, you can't. Mm. No, you can't. And the world will hate you. Right. The world will hate whoever That's they That's absolutely date. true. So... I don't know, like, and I'm deep. Like, I have Googled, I've read the BuzzFeed articles, I've Mm -hmm. read... I mean, I think even major other news organizations picked up this story. I've just seen, like, pictures of them on Twitter, but I get it. The GIFs, there's so many. Mm -hmm. I'm speechless over it. I I have gone down many a Twitter thread made entirely of GIFs of him stroking her face. Oh, my. Yeah, it's intense. And I, I don't know what to do with my feelings. I don't know where to put them. I think you have to eat them. Well, I I can do that. Welcome to episode 160 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I've got my bag packed. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's the end of February, somehow, already. Well, it's the 28 days thing. It's a 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 28 days later. <laughs> That's right. Um, hey, some people came to visit the bookshelf this weekend. Oh, yeah? From out of town because of the podcast. Oh, wow. Um, some A group of book clubbers from Atlanta. Okay. I thought that was really fun. Which is fun. interesting because I was in Atlanta. I think we're always in Atlanta. Some One of us, somebody's in Atlanta. I was there last weekend. I'm there this weekend. Um, And then, so a group of book clubbers from Atlanta and then a group from like Montgomery, Prattville. Okay area um so that i thought that was really fun and they had stayed at local bed and breakfast That's and great. went and explored thomasville so thanks for making thomasville your destination i appreciate it <laughs> yeah someone asked a couple months ago like what days i was working so that they could come when i was here and i was like unfortunately i don't actually work unfortunately, in the store anymore i got this thing called a dissertation i gotta i write. gotta write this whole book and so i'm not <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in the store so much. Your presence is here. My picture is here. Your picture, your books. My books, yep. So, I mean, you're still here. You're just not... I'm haunting the place. Yeah, yeah. which makes sense, honestly. It really does. <laughs> it's like the Afterlives or Lincoln and the Bardo. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally fine. Um, <laughs> so, it's the end of the month, which means it's time for our... Reading monthly recap. Reading recap. Um, and... I read a good book this month. Did you read good books this month? Yeah, I good. did. I read quite a few. And so let's start. Your first one was Tangerine. Tangerine by Christine Mangan, I believe. Mm-hmm. Tangerine does not come out until, gosh, I want to say that I don't know. I want to um, say... March 16th. Oh, good. So so they can. So you guys can read it <laughs> soon. Um, Tangerine is a... 13th. Okay. Tangerine, somebody emailed us, we can talk more about this, I guess, in a later episode, but somebody emailed us asking about unreliable narrators, Uh and so often those are found in thrillers. What I Mm -hmm. loved about Tangerine was it's definitely an unreliable narrator, but this is not a suspense novel. It's like some weird cross between the cover makes it look like historical fiction, Mm -hmm which I would not classify it as, though it does take place in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes place in Morocco, which was a really fun setting. Interesting. The book. book I read was also in Morocco. Weird. Yeah, okay, so we'll book in this. Yeah, so it was... So I loved that because the author really gave this novel a deep sense of place mm-hmm. that I don't always find. Or sometimes I'll find that a book is about a place, but then the people are secondary. Uh-huh. And what I loved about Tangerine is that it clearly, it could not be anywhere other than Morocco, like the way she's written it. But I also, the characters are also really compelling. So it's not a book about Morocco. Um, so it's about these two young women who were friends. They met in boarding school. And then we know something happened mm-hmm. that caused kind of a, kind of a rift, I guess, between Mm -hmm. the two friends. So one of them lives in Morocco with her less than stellar husband. And then the friend shows up on her doorstep for a visit, Mm. unannounced. Oh, never a good idea. Never a good idea. But what I really loved, it took me 100 pages, like almost exactly 100 pages before I felt like, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Like, it's because... It has gotten some buzz, um, both from fellow booksellers and from publisher. Like publishers are really pushing this one, and I about a hundred pages in, I was like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm going to stick with this. And then I could, if I had the book in front of me, I could probably point you to the paragraph that like switched my opinion. And from then on, it's like it is not a thriller, but it is quiet 
impending foreboding impending doom mm. yeah like what is happening you know here? something bad's going yes on. like it is and it is unsettling okay um really liked it had not i don't even have too many things to compare it to to be honest with you um just know that this one is worth the buzz um it may even a spoiler alert it may even be a shelf subscription i'm not quite sure yet because mm-hmm. of release date but that's a that's a weird release it's a date. weird release date but i want i want to sell this to everybody and part of the reason i want to sell it to everybody is because i think it covers so many genres that pretty much anybody could enjoy it uh-huh. like it's not one of those that only historic fiction folks are uh-huh. going to read only suspense um just this really dysfunctional female friendship and it, it is so good that's great it's really good good yeah what what book did you read that took okay so Toronto? we'll start this now too um i read the hospital okay um it, we got it as an arc it's by um, a guy named ahmed buonani okay it was actually published in 1990 originally okay. but it's just been translated into english gotcha and so the english translation is coming out in june okay um this book was published in 90 the year i was born um, and then kind of forgotten about until 2012 when it was um, kind of re-released in French. Okay. Um, and it is a semi-autobiographical but also very much not account of a guy going into, like, a sanitarium for tuberculosis okay. for about six months. Um, and it's very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. It's very dark, dirty, because mm-hmm. um, it's sanitarium right um and it's his interaction with the other sick people and it's hard for him to differentiate between what is real and what is not um Um, who is dead who is alive what like because time has no meaning anymore because he's just in this place he's stuck um and so it's very short it's 120 pages okay um and but it had a 40 page introduction because this is an author who's not known in the in the Uh u.s um and he died a few years ago um I honestly found the introduction way more compelling than the book itself. Oh, that's so The 40-page introduction about the author's life was so interesting. Okay. And I learned about, like, 20th century Moroccan history, like, what happens in Casablanca after the movie ends. Yeah. Um, okay. And how, like, Morocco is, like, declaring its independence from France um, and trying to establish its own nationhood, but they come across this problem that, like, it was... French colonialism that kind of gave them their border and gave them their national identity, identity. and it's really hard for them to try to establish that without any French influence. Yeah. And, like, the story in the introduction was kind of about how this author, who's also a filmmaker, tried to do that in his films, but his boss was, like, a communist or something and hated everything that he made and had him edit it down and edit it down until it mm. wasn't what he wanted anymore. Oh. Um, and so we have this kind of like tragic artistic background. Yeah. And then like late in life, his apartment catches on fire and everything he created burned. Oh no. Except like a couple boxes of his like handwritten manuscripts. Oh jeez. Right? Um, and so it was this bizarre story. That could be the book in and of itself. Right. Well, and that's what was so interesting to me that like the 40 page introduction was essentially the story of, like, how this book kind of survived. Uh-huh. was a big deal in 2012, 22 years after it was originally published, and now it's just coming to the U.S., but it was essentially the story of the infinite future that I read last <laughs> yeah. month, but in real life. Yeah. The story of, like, this little-known author, and I tracked down this manuscript, and it's a big deal now. Yeah. 
Oh, that's <laughs> so really cool. weird. What a little beautiful book serendipity, I reader know. serendipity. Um, and so it's Kelsey brought it home for me on Saturday, okay. um, as an ARC, and I, I saw that it was 120 pages long, and I was like, I'll read that this weekend. I read it in the sitting. Yay! Okay, um, good. And I liked the book. It's very weird. It's a lot like Borges or Kafka, um, where it's just like intentionally kind of difficult, but beautiful. Okay. Like, really lyrical. Lots of literary references I don't understand because mm-hmm. it is about Islam. I was about to say a different. Um, and, like, I read the Quran in college, but, like, I don't remember oh, it well a enough. a long time ago now. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> it well enough to, yeah. to, like, understand the references. Yeah. Um, but I followed enough, and it was interesting and weird enough that I was like, yeah, I'm just going to read this right now. Yeah, and sometimes, like, I think... As readers, we pause trying to figure out the references, yeah. and the references themselves don't matter. Right. Like, just power through. Right. Just keep reading. And there's enough similar um, between, like, Islam and Christianity that, like, I was picking up on yeah. a lot of it. Like, Final Judgment. Okay, got it. Right. Like you can, Moses. Okay, got you it. You can power through. Right. Um, so, th- it was oh. really interesting. Glad I read it. That's but so funny. Honestly, about I love that intro- that introduction. Okay. Um, I want people to read that. Just the introduction. <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued now because Tangerine takes place clearly on the cusp of Morocco establishing their independence. Mm-hmm. And you can see those struggles you were talking about yeah. in this fictional world that this author has created. Um, so if you're, if you're traveling to Morocco... Yeah, good companion pieces. The Tangerine and... Or Tangerine and the Hospital. Uh, okay, the next book I read was a memoir called Places I Stopped on the Way Home. Okay. Which I do love that title. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I don't always love books from bloggers. Yeah. This book is by Meg Fee. Uh, I have been a faithful reader of Meg Fee's blog as long as she has had it, I think, pretty much. She and I are around the same age, Mm -hmm. I want to say. And when I had a desk job and could do things like read blogs, hers was one I read religiously. Um, I don't think she blogs very much anymore. I think now she's a master's student in um, North Carolina. That'll take it out of you. Yeah, working on maybe a degree in public policy or something like that. But she went to Juilliard. And her blog was a lot about life Mm post-grad and trying to make her way in New York City. Okay. She had gone to Juilliard, I think, for acting. And anyway, her essay collection, Places I Stopped on the Way Home, is a lot of reuse of her blog posts, which... Normal. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty standard. But normally I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But I did love the experience of reading this book because Meg and I are around the same age. I was immediately transported back, even though my experience is vastly different from hers. I was immediately transported back to what my life was like in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so I was filled with this deep nostalgia. And she also has really, I mean, there are parts of it that are really beautifully written. Like she has some beautiful phrasing that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, This book, I don't think comes out until, I want to say May. Uh, You can find the release date and put it in the show notes. But I think it would make a really lovely graduation gift. Okay. Um, because it's kind of all about the struggles. And she writes very openly and honestly. She struggled with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, Juilliard was not a happy time for her. It wound up being extremely difficult on her emotionally. I will say I'm also super intrigued because... Her first story or essay in this collection is about her experience with Sam Shepard, who mm-hmm. I think died last year, I yeah. want to say. Um, and then her second or third essay 
she dated someone who I think is now a very well-known actor. And I spent a good amount of time trying trying to figure figure out who this was because he went to Juilliard Mm -hmm. and he's a famous, like she references, like she sees his face on magazines and she wishes him nothing but the best, whatever. I'm very intrigued. I can't find it anywhere. And I think she deleted some old blog posts. Interesting. So super curious who that is. So if somebody else also weirdly obsessed over Meg Fee's blog and would like to tell me who the celebrity was, I'm very curious. Um, Basically, this is an essay collection written by a blogger. The good news is Meg Fee is, to me, a talented writer. writer. Um, But if you have read her blog, a lot of this will feel almost too familiar to you. I didn't have a problem with it because it was so nostalgic Mm -hmm. to me. And I felt like I finished this book in like two sittings because I just felt like I was reliving my early 20s. Again, even though our experiences are so very different, I just felt very... I don't know, kind of comfortable and warm reading this book, if that makes sense. Like, very nostalgic. Oh, like, oh, I remember that, or I remember that year. And another reason to pick this one up, grad gift, um, or if you were going to New York, it's Mm. really, there are parts of it that are a love letter, I think, to where she lived, because now she lives in North Carolina. So, um, places I stopped on the way home, thoroughly enjoyable. That sounds great. Um, Yeah. So that comes out in May sometime. I think May sometime. I'll have the date in the notes. Um, next you had a book called The All of It. The All of It. Hooray for trying to read some more backlist titles. Yeah. So this one is by Jeanette, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, Hein? Hein. Hein. Uh, I read this one solely because a customer, reader, friend basically shoved it into my hands <laughs> and was like, you can read this. It's short. And it is short. And That's what Kelsey did to me Saturday. <laughs> the, um, the difference with the all of it is don't go in thinking you should read it in one sitting. You shouldn't. Okay. Um, it is, and it's short enough too. But I think you'll miss out on some of it. If take you, your time. Yeah, take your time. Like you, this was so funny that you loved the introduction to the hospital. The All of It has an introduction or a foreword by Ann Patchett. Mm-hmm. That foreword is so compelling mm. that it immediately, um, Suzanne, the woman who gave it to me to read, after she told me after she finished reading the book, she immediately went back and reread the foreword because Ann Patchett has such lovely, interesting insights yeah. into the story. Um, but The All of It is about a priest this whole story takes place in Ireland. I think this is an Irish author. Mm-hmm. And this is a book that found a second life because Ann Patchett read it. Interesting, she, yeah. She picked it up at a used bookstore, and it was out of print. And she, because she's Ann Patchett, yeah, basically... <laughs> basically, Ann Patchett is like Oprah. Oprah life. Yeah. yeah. And so she basically demanded that it be published again. So the all of it is about a priest living in Ireland, and he goes to take the last confessions of a dear friend, one of his parishioners, and um, the parishioner has long been married to this woman, and the man confesses something on his deathbed, or hints to it, doesn't ever confess it, that just throws this priest into Mm. complete disarray. Like, this priest does not know he's both a friend and a priest and doesn't know what to do with this information. And truly, the book is kind of bookended. It opens with this really interesting scene of the priest fishing. Mm -hmm. And then the whole middle of the book is this wife um, basically confessing, but not really. She's more confiding Mm -hmm. in this priest. And then the priest has to decide 
is this a confession confession? or is this a friend? And then it's bookended again by the priest fishing. Interesting. Um, Really good. Cannot believe I'd not heard of this one. Um, Ann Patchett, when it was reprinted, I think it was maybe, I want to say 2010, 2012. So maybe that's part of the reason I didn't hear about it. It was like my pre-bookshelf life. Mm -hmm. And it is an extremely quiet novel. But there are some things in it where I was like, did I just read what I think I just read? <laughs> like, like, there are some moments, and I don't want to spoil those feelings for other readers, so I don't really want to go into what was confessed. and, and But the struggle of this priest mm-hmm. is really what sticks with you. Like, this priest not knowing... This is, is this a confession? What is my, what is my job as a priest? And uh-huh. what is my role as a friend and confidant? Right. And I loved that. And Ann Patchett in the foreword talks about how she is just drawn to priests in stories because she finds them to be so interesting. Um, that's certainly the case for this yeah. book. Something of like Graham Greene, The Power and the Glory. Yes. Um, did you see the movie Calvary? No. It came out four years ago, I think, but it's with Brendan Gleeson who plays Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies. Okay. Um, and is also the father of Donald Gleason, who is also in the movie. I did not know that. Yes. Um, so they're both in this movie, but it's about an Irish priest. Um, and it sounds very similar. Like, okay. he hears a confession that really throws him. Yeah. Um, and then there's some crazy stuff that happens. Okay. Um, you'll love it. J- Jordan will love it. Okay. okay. Um, it deals a lot with, with like, faith in a very interesting way. Okay. I think it was up for Best Picture. Interesting. Um, but before I worked here. I'm going to look it up. Um, it's super good. The comp I had for this one was Gilead. Mm-hmm. Um, because interestingly, a, one of the women who came in and had visited, uh, was visiting the bookshop this weekend mentioned that she had just read Gilead. And so immediately I was like, oh my gosh, what do you think? And she felt very eh, <sighs> about it. And I had forgotten, truly not much happens in Gilead. Right, like it's, it's slow. relatively, it's very quiet and there's not huge bombastic moments. And I think that's the same reason I was drawn to the Essex Serpent. The All of It has moments, like the confession, mm-hmm. where you're like, what? Huh? Like, <laughs> record screech. Um, <laughs> but but it is it is a quiet novel. I, at the moment, kind of wished I'd been able to read it in one sitting, just mm-hmm. because it's so captivating, and you kind of have to, like, clear your head. But you're also glad you didn't. But, I, yeah, I don't think for readers I would recommend one sitting. I, I might recommend one weekend. Mm-hmm. And which is how it was sold to me. Sure. That's how Weekend Suzanne read. sold it to me was read over the weekend. So the All of It, great backlist title that um, people should pick up. Funny serendipity of titles here, but going from The All of It to The Year of Less. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, so The Year of Less, this is another, I did not know that this was a blog turned book. So it's written by Kate Flanders. Um, who's Canadian, and so now I won't have all kinds of questions about ice dancing in Canada, but that's beside the point. Um, the Year of Less is Beautiful a... Beautiful cover. It's a great cover. Now, you're looking at the cover. I am. It's about a woman who gives up shopping for a year. That cover does not relate to that premise. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. But it's a great cover. It's a beautiful cover. I uh, just can't quite figure out... Huh. I don't know if it's because she, Kate Flanders, um, so she gave up shopping for a year... Uh, she confesses immediately she is a recovering alcoholic, she has addictive tendencies, and so she, like, has this moment of living in her home when she can't find something that she knows she possesses, which I feel like we've all had that moment where we're like, where's that tank top? I know I have that tank top. Um, Because she has too much stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she gets rid 
of an exorbitant amount of her possessions, and then she decides to give up shopping for a year. Okay. Now, she still purchases, like, groceries and necessities, and she still travels and eats out. She's a single woman. Okay. So she still eats out. Uh, I read this from my book club, and some women in my book club, I think, took issue with that, but I felt like that's not the project she was doing. Right. She just was giving up frivolous shopping, essentially. Um, I enjoyed this book because I like Happiness Project. Mm -hmm. Year lo- I like year-long projects. Yeah. I'm inspired by them. Um, this one is less how-to and more memoir. Okay. Because she talks a lot about her previous struggles with alcohol and with drug addiction. And then her relationship with her family. No spoilers. Her parents in this book, her long-time um, uh, parents, like they've been a couple for a long time, um, split up. Mm-hmm. And that kind of wrecks her world and or readjusts her world. And so it's a lot about that. And I was told when I kind of made that point that her blog was a lot of how-to. And so it sounds like her publisher requested that she come up with some original content. Mm -hmm. And the original content for this book is her personal life and her personal story. Um, Two criticisms. Number one, an editor needed to get a hold of this book. They're like repeating sentences and paragraphs, oh, which I think comes from like putting a blog on a paper. Sure. Um, Cause like if you wrote a blog post a week ago and then you publish it beside the blog post you published today, well then there might be similarities. Right. Cause we all, you know, yeah. nobody's immune, but an editor should have noticed that. Right. My book club really took issue with that. Second observation my book club made that I would not have made mm-hmm. is that this book is really I see it as like a how-to's personal growth book. Several women in my book club commented that they thought it would be great for recovering addicts or for people related to people who struggle with addiction. Um, One of the women in my book club said she really preferred this to some of the books she has read that are to family members dealing with addiction. I never would have thought that. You never would have guessed it by the cover. So I wanted to say it here because... Uh, that's not how that book is being marketed. And I thought it was really interesting that not just one, but a couple of women in my book club really advocated and and felt like it should be marketed as a a help. That's very interesting. For addicts. So um, I will say, like, I walked away from it inspired. I gave up shopping for Lent. And so that's kind of why I was interested in this to begin with. My book club felt ambivalent about those parts of it because mm-hmm. it is it is more memoir than how-to. But apparently you could look up Kate Flanders' blog um, and, and read more. I do wonder if the book cover is based on the fact that Kate Flanders loves the outdoors. Sure. And she turned, I think, one of the things... That, from shopping yes, to the outdoors? Yes. Okay. I think one thing that shifted that her sense. perspective was, was spending more time traveling and in the outdoors. Okay. So I I get. I think that's where the cover came from, but it's a beautiful cover. But if you've read the book, you're a little confused by it. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, I think it'd make a great book club book. My book club had a really fascinating conversation about it. Um, Good. So the Year of Less by Kate Flanders. The next one you read was That Kind of Mother. That Kind of Mother by Ruman Alam. Do you remember this? Do you remember Rich and Pretty? He no. wrote Rich and Pretty. This mm-hmm. came out a couple years ago. I feel like we talked about it on this blog. You didn't read it, but I did, and it was fine. Like, it was one that I read but felt, eh, that was fine. That's why I don't remember. Yeah, but it was a debut novel, and I liked it enough to be curious when I saw this one, uh-huh. because I thought, okay, I read Rich and Pretty, and it was fine. Up. Yeah. This follow-up is so good. And good. way better. Like, sometimes you worry about that sophomore slump, yeah. but because Rich and Pretty was just fine, I feel like this is way better. Um... 
So that kind of mother is, the protagonist is Rebecca. She's a poet and a young woman pregnant with her first child. Okay. She has her child and she becomes an anxious, terrified, probably postpartum uh-huh. depression type mom. Uh, I say that because those words are never spoken. Right. I'm just assuming we're supposed to assume that. Right. The book is set in the 80s. Um, I do have some comments about that, but she goes back to the hospital to find the nurse that helped her learn how to breastfeed her baby because that nurse handled her so well. Mm -hmm. She hires that nurse who's African American to come work in her home and nanny her baby so that she can be a poet, recover from postpartum. So woman comes into the home, obviously white woman, black woman. So we have some a white, a privileged white woman who right. I think thinks she has overcome racism. Right. So there's some issues there. Then, and this is no spoilers, although I was startled by it, but it's all over the cover and the blurb of the book. The um, nurse, Priscilla, becomes pregnant and she dies during childbirth. Oh, goodness. And Rebecca decides to adopt her baby. Oh, goodness. Okay. So, I say all that to say it sounds like a soap opera. Like, that's a lot. Like, really, the the first half of what I just told you could have been a book, I uh-huh. think. Okay. But Ruman Alam handles it really well and writes, and I think part of it is, so he and his partner are adoptive parents, mm-hmm. and he, uh, Ruman Alam, um, married a white man, and so they had to adopt children. Mm-hmm. They brought their own racial issues into mm-hmm. their marriage. So I so he writes about that really well. The setting in the 80s is distracting only because it's not brought up enough. Like uh-huh. I'm like like to to justify yeah, it. Yeah, like I felt like it was totally contemporary except Rebecca has this fascination and idolization of Princess Diana. And so occasionally she will reference, or the book will reference Diana. And it took me, like, it took me several minutes before I was like, no, wait, who is the Diana Princess again? Of yeah. <laughs> like, because I kept thinking, oh, she referenced her so casually, just as Diana. And I forgot that this movie was, in, or this book was in the 80s. Uh-huh. So I was like, is this her sister? Is this, which I wonder if it's on purpose. Like, right. Rebecca really sets her up as a model. Thing. Yeah, yeah, as a model of who she should be. Um, there are themes of feminism and ambition. Like, Rebecca becomes a mom, but also really is a prolific or wants to be a prolific poet. Mm-hmm. And her struggle with that identity kind of crisis. Then there's also, obviously, the issue of adoption. And when you adopt a little boy who looks very different from your family. Right. And Rebecca clearly doesn't even want to think that he looks different from her family. Right, but you need to acknowledge that. Yes, and so there's a lot of that. Um, I There's so much in this book to unpack, that, and I just finished it yesterday. Sounds like a great book club book. A great book club book. Um, very, you know, just so many themes that you feel like he could have just stuck with one. Mm-hmm. But... But he didn't, and I'm not distracted or disappointed by that. Like, instead, I thought, wow, what a rich novel. Like, there's so much here for me to to handle and to, like, grasp. Um, someone did message me and ask what I thought about a man writing about mm-hmm. um, oh, a woman's particular struggle. And I did not mind, and I think I would have if mm-hmm. it hadn't been done well. Right. Uh, but instead... Because I think Ruman Alam brings his own 
issues of race and adoption Mm -hmm. and and what makes a family. Mm -hmm. Because he has experienced those personally, I think he brings that into the novel. And I I was not distracted by the fact that he was a male writer. I thoroughly enjoy doesn't even seem to do the book service i i i loved delving into and chewing on this novel perfect if you liked an american marriage like okay. the same types of themes small great things uh by jody picolt that book that came out i think last year a couple years ago really really good this book doesn't come out until mid-may i think may 13th um but put it. Go ahead and put it like on your to be our list because it's really good. Good. And then the last one you read this month is called Educated. Educated. I'm cheating because what's today? I don't even know. Today's the twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. I'm almost done. Okay. So Educated, it's everywhere. You've probably seen it. Um, it is by Tara. Gosh, Westworld is not correct. Westover. <laughs> Tara Westover. <laughs> Westover. Uh, um, she is a BYU grad, went and I believe got her PhD from Cambridge. Okay. Uh, did not enter a classroom until she was 17 years old. She was raised in the mountains of Idaho um, by survivalist fundamentalist parents. Interesting. Fascinating. It's a true story. I'm listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started it for Stitches and Stories last week and I was hooked. Also, this book, I felt like did not get a ton of pre-pub yeah. press. She was on All Things Considered or Fresh Air. She was on NPR somewhere, and this blew up. She's been on every morning show. So I'm sure people will have heard of this book, um, Educated. It is it is fascinating. Like the glass castle, almost. Um, Did you ever read The Sound of Gravel? No. That was another like woman raised by fundamentalist yes. Mormons um, and trying to escape that. Okay. Totally. I mean, I'm, I'm low key obsessed with Mormonism. I'm very intrigued by it. Sure. Um, but she makes clear at the beginning of the book. I thought some of her um, forewords or author's notes were interesting. She has renamed a lot of people because I'm I'm not to the yeah. end of the book, but my understanding is she is still in touch with some of her family, not mm-hmm. all of her family. Um, and then she makes clear at the beginning, this is not a book about Mormonism. Right. It is not a book about religion. Mm -hmm. This is a book about my growing up and my experience. And there are parts of it that are laugh out loud funny. There are parts of it there that are disturbing. Like I was listening to it going, this is not okay. Like someone should have helped this. This is not okay. These children, like I just, they, she was, she's one of like seven or eight kids. And, um, I just... There's some of it that is hard to read. Um, the audiobook is great. I haven't listened to an audiobook in full probably in six to nine months. Yeah. Um, but this one is getting me back on track. Really good nonfiction memoir. Again, excellent book club book out right now. I, I'm tempted to say everyone should read it. It's like um, Hillbilly Elegy crowd. Okay. At, like there's Because there's so much to be said especially in our current culture where homeschooling is such a big deal. Yes. It's important to look and see, oh, there's probably a right way to do homeschooling and a wrong way, and this was probably not the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she didn't have a birth certificate until she was nine. Goodness. Yeah, it's astounding. Um, yeah, and that says nothing about her religion or faith, no. but particularly about her about community. About her community. Right. And, and it's not even her community, her household. Her family. Yeah. yeah. It, it has very much to do with her father and mother. It is fascinating, but she does it without, I, and I commend her for this, definitely I have moments where I feel a little judgy, like what is happening in this house, 
but I don't think that's at all her intent. Mm-hmm. I think she is just writing She's about explaining. what happened to her. Right. And I don't think she intends for any of us to get up in arms about it or to belittle it. Mm-hmm. I think she's just saying, this is how I was raised. And she, and it sounds like one other sibling, kind of got got out of that world on purpose and went to school. Um, but I'm so intrigued because I thought it was going to be, too, about, like, a community of people. But it's really just her just home. Her like, not even mm-hmm. her grandparents. Like, I'm completely... I'm hooked on this story, and I really respect Tara as a as a narrator and a storyteller. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Well, it sounds like a good month. It was a good not month. A, not a dud in the bunch. No, I don't think so. Well, how nice. That's so good. That never happens. I will say I'm giving up on books more frequently. That's good. So um, you're, like, starting, getting 30 pages yeah. and saying, nope. Yeah, which I, that's new for me. Which, and maybe some Patreon content. Yeah. Of, like, the books Annie the gave book up I on. The book I gave up on. I'd love to talk about Okay, it. we'll do that. Okay. I think that's a great idea. Okay. production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. And if you'd like to hear what Annie gave up on this month and other months, you can support us on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content like that and Unpopular Opinions, our monthly podcast where we talk about some controversial content. You can check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also find us on our website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, where you can find web-only content that is all free and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. We hosted Galentine's Day upstairs mm-hmm. at the top shelf. Very exciting. But I went to open the front door when Galentine's Day was about to begin. It was about a quarter till. And my old boss, who is this delightful um, older woman, retired now, she was sitting out front with one of her girlfriends. They were coming to Galentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, which was surprising because they're, they're a little older. They're in their, I don't know, 60s, 70s. I don't know. I'm a poor judge of age, but basically not your typical Gilmore Girls audience, I wouldn't think. And this year's Valentine's Day was Gilmore themed. So I opened the door and I greeted them and I said, you're welcome to come in if you want. And my boss was like, oh no, we're sitting here reviewing Gilmore trivia. Like she was on her phone (laughs) and like looking up names of characters. I just thought it was the most adorable thing. That's so good. (laughs) That's so good. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.